This week on Worldview, with the big two leaders of US and China skipping the COP28 in UAE, has the climate summit lost some of its sheen? And why did India, now the most populous nation, refuse to sign on the Green Energy Pledge and the Climate Health Agreement? We'll try to break down all the green jargon for you. We're going to go to the Hindu's Jacob Koshi, who's in Dubai at the Expo City there. Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. Now we're halfway through the COP28 that is being held in Dubai. Of course, normally we come to you at the end of COP28, but this will give you a primer on what to expect. Half a million registrations, 77,000 delegates, 189 countries are all participating in that COP summit that will end next week. And many controversies have also been included, have roiled the UAE presidency, but then there are many agreements. So let's start with that. The big agreements to begin with, the loss and damage fund right on the first day. Uh, this was something that was held over from the COP27 in Sharm el-Sheikh last year, proposed, remember, by the G77 in order to help the world's most climate vulnerable countries. Around $750 million has been committed so far, including $100 million each from UAE and Germany, $145 million from the EU, uh, about 50 million from the UK and 17 million from the United States and that to set up the fund, which will be managed by the World Bank. Okay, so on to the next big agreement. It's called GST, but it's called, it means global stock take. This will be the first COP where the global stock taking exercise will take place to see just how the world's actions in the past few years measure up against the promises they had made at the Paris Agreement in 2016, what was called COP21 at the time. The third agreement, a green pledge. The COP28, that means this time, has, they have cleared a global renewables and energy efficiency pledge. This aims to triple renewable energy uh, generation capacity and double energy efficiency by 2030. It calls for an end to new investments in coal. And of course, India has been particularly prickly about this issue of uh, cutting down coal and did not sign on the agreement. Then there's a health pledge on the first health day of the COP28. Global leaders came together, endorsed a health and climate change declaration that sounded the alarm on the severe health implications of climate change. Again, India did not sign on to these because of some of the commitments that they required. Next, we come to climate finance, which is still in the works. In fact, this COP hopes to sort out at least the definition and the mechanics of delivering $100 billion in climate finance that had been pledged by OECD countries way back in 2009. It was due to start in 2020. That pledge has not been kept so far. Uh, so everyone watching to see what progress is made. And then, of course, the debate over fossil fuel. Uh, this is something which is hotly debated at the COP, particularly this time, uh, as big consumers and big economies, especially China and India, say they're against any immediate curtailment of coal on the grounds that it's necessary for the econ economy and for development. At present, differences are likely to emerge on the phrase just an orderly phase out of fossil fuels that appears in the draft global stock taking text. Uh, India, remember, had clarified in Glasgow that if at all cuts must be on uh, made, it must be on all fossil fuels, not just on coal. 
um, because it needs coal for thermal power. In fact, about 73% of Indian power generation is based on coal. Uh, also oil and gas, of course. At COP26, which was in Glasgow in 2021, both the US and China had actually supported India's coal. Uh, to call it a phase down rather than a phase out of coal. Let's see what happens this time and whether that uh, phrase phase out is kept in the global stock take text. In his speech at the inaugural session with leader Prime Minister Narendra Modi made several points. So what were the broad points from his speech? One, that India has 17% of the world's population. It's the world's most populous country, but its share in global carbon emissions is less than 4%. Climate agencies say that figure is actually about 7% in all, but even so, much less than the population India has. Also, India is one of the few economies in the world that is on track to meet its own NDC targets. And of course, nationally determined contributions are decided by each country on their own. India's target is to reduce emissions intensity by 45%. By 2030, he said. He also said India will increase the share of non-fossil fuel to 50% of installed electricity capacity. But he still did not want to sign on to any of those global pledges for that. India is sticking to a net zero target of 2070. Remember, many have asked for it to be brought to 2050, but India has stuck to its guns and said, honestly, we will only commit what we can uh, keep to. India and the UAE also launched a green credit initiative and of course the big announcement that India would like to host the COP23 COP to be held in 2028. Uh, remember India last hosted the COP, the conference of the parties on climate change in 2002. Listen in to what Prime Minister Modi said. Sathiyon, हमारे पास बहुत ज्यादा समय नहीं है मानव जाति के एक छोटे हिस्से ने प्रकृति का अंधा धुंध दोहन किया लेकिन इसकी कीमत पूरी मानवता को चुकानी पड़ रही है विशेषकर ग्लोबल साउथ के निवासियों को सिर्फ मेरा भला हो ये सोच दुनिया को एक अंधेरे की तरफ ले जाएगी इस हॉल में बैठा प्रत्येक व्यक्ति प्रत्येक राष्ट्राध्यक्ष बहुत बड़ी जिम्मेदारी के साथ यहां आया है but of course, it wasn't all climate work there in Dubai. Prime Minister Modi met with a number of other leaders on the sidelines. Uh, he was discussing the Israel-Hamas conflict with leaders from the region, including Israel President Herzog, who was there. The first meeting since the October 7th terror attacks on Israel and then the bombardment began of Gaza. The UAE president, he also met with the leaders of Jordan, other countries in the region, as well as the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres. The sentencing of eight Indian naval officers came up apparently in the meeting with the Emir of Qatar, although the Ministry of External Affairs did not confirm this. And then meetings with neighborhood leaders like Sri Lankan President uh, Ranil Vikramasinghe and the new president of the Maldives, Mohammed Muiz, who sub subsequently actually said that Prime Minister Modi had agreed to the Maldives' demand to take back Indian military personnel that was stationed there. Again, the MEA has not really commented on this. And of course, then there was this famous selfie with Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni. She hashtagged the picture between Modi and Meloni as Melody. 
Now, away from all of this uh, more lighthearted moments, there were some controversies, concerns expressed at the COP28. The first really about the no Biden-Xi appearance at COP28 and the absence of the leaders was significant. Some even suggested that neither the US president nor his vice president traveled to the UAE given the Middle East crisis uh, with the continuing bombardment of Gaza by Israel, which may have given their visit a political color. Uh, certainly, um, there was uh, it was being held in the UAE, which has been a big critic of Israel's actions. Um, then there was uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin, who actually arrived right in the middle of the COP uh, summit, but he arrived in Abu Dhabi and then went on to discuss a number of oil and gas fossil fuel deals. So as many said, there was a bit of a conflict there. In fact, a conflict overall about the oil lobby at the COP summit. Uh, a climate change activist particularly upset that the UAE itself, a major oil exporter, had a conflict of interest uh, in that COP summit and that many of those who came to the summit, delegates there, were pushing down targets on cutting fossil fuel production rather than pushing them up. Uh, in fact, the UAE COP president himself, Sultan al-Jabbar, came under fire. He's not only the head of UAE's renewable energy agency, Mastar, but also of um, ADNOC, Abu Dhabi's national oil company, which makes it a very interesting mix. In particular, comments that he made indicating that the evidence against fossil fuels for global warming um, is not simply not there. And, and those came under fire. Here was his response. I am quite surprised with the constant and repeated attempts to undermine the work of the COP28 presidency and the attempts to undermine the message that we keep repeating when it comes to how much we respect the science and how we ensure that the science is what dictates our strategy for our strategic imperatives and the objectives we want to deliver at COP28. So the UAE COP president quite angry. Now, of course, India came in for flack because it didn't sign the Green Pledge. It didn't sign the Climate Health Pledge, saying that climate justice is really the most important principle. And earlier, I spoke to the Hindu's deputy science editor, Jacob Koshi, who was there in Dubai and began by asking him just what the absence of President Biden and President Xi really meant for the COP summit. Just to start with, compared to previous COP uh, climate summits, uh, it seemed as if the turnout in Dubai was less than before. The big two, of course, the US and China's uh, presidents weren't actually there. Um, uh, what really what really explains this kind of a turnout given uh, all the uh, the promises uh, that were made ahead of it? Is there a sort of climate fatigue setting in? Well, uh, the COP presidency had said that nearly 70,000 delegates had registered. Now, it will be some time before we actually get those official numbers of how many people have actually turned up. But on the other hand, I don't see climate fatigue per se. Yes, uh, uh, President Biden and, Xi, and President Xi Jinping are not here. But uh, Swasni, just a couple of uh, months back, you know, they had, or, or just a few weeks back, they had actually, President Xi Jinping had traveled to the United States. And there, for the first time, they had resumed uh, talks regarding climate as well as scientific 
collaboration. That is when they uh, actually decided to go ahead with something called uh, the meat that is now translated something called the methane pledge. Basically, the U.S. and uh, China have decided to do something about emissions from methane, which, as we all, is a very potent greenhouse gas, and some say even more than um, a carbon dioxide. Now they have, of course, sent their representatives. They are uh, John Kerry is over here, and in fact, he will be having a press conference uh, later today. But this is the first week is over. The second week is called the brass tacks week, and that is when you know you have most of the ministerial delegations actually fighting over various points. There are a lot of climate activists over here. There is even there are a lot of fossil fuel companies. I mean, that's one of the criticisms that people are uh, levying that there are nearly two thousand three hundred. Uh, representatives of the fossil fuel industry over here. That is, in a typically, typically over the years, this has been a, a very environmental prone type of uh, conference. More and more businesses are getting in, and that seems to be upsetting uh, some some people. But it is still vibrant. It is still uh, there's a lot of uh, activity happening. It's challenging to keep track with everything. So I don't see any climate fatigue set in. There's also the controversy over the COP president himself, Sultan Al Jabbar, uh, who heads up UAE's renewable energy agency, but interestingly also heads up Adnoc, the, U- uh, the UAE's oil company. Is that being seen as a conflict of interest, or is it being seen of a way of bringing the fossil uh, fuel stakeholders into the room? So, Swasni, Sultan Al Jabbar's role as the CEO of Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. And the corporate presidency, the conflict of interest is very stark because let's face it, at the end of it, the UAE is one of the biggest exporters of uh, of oil. But this has been a controversy that's been on for nearly a year. So people have uh, you know pointed out this issue that he really doesn't believe in the science. But Sultan Ahmed uh, Ahmed Al Jabbar's basic point and the point that he repeatedly stresses is that he wants all players to be in. So he. Just doesn't want just companies uh, and countries and activists. He wants the biggest contributors to the climate problem, and that is really the fossil fuel um, industry. He wants them to be on the table, and he wants them to take on cuts. Which is why, on you know, on even on the day before the COP, he announced this pledge by several oil companies to actually go uh, net zero by 2050. We don't have all of the names yet. That was one of the headline statements that was made even even before before the COP. The biggest impact that we have seen is in the wording of the draft uh, text. It's called the Global Stock Take Text. Now remember, Global Stock Take is just Stock Take is just one of the elements that will come up in the final draft uh, next Thursday. It is just one component, but it is seen as the what will be the biggest outcome of this particular COP. Now that says that we need a just and orderly transition away from fossil fuels. So, actually, it's one of the most mind-boggling things ever that in all the 30 years of COP, there has never been a official acknowledgement by the UNFCCC or all the UN body that fossil fuels specifically are contributing to the climate crisis. In last two years ago, we had discussions on coal, but coal is just one of the fossil fuels. It's the first time that fossil fuels per se is seen as the villain and not just greenhouse gas emissions. And there is an attempt now that we have to face out fossil fuels. So this wording is there. There's a very good chance it will get eliminated in the final text because it is fairly controversial. It is fairly contentious. But the very fact that this already exists now 
is something to really wait and watch out for. India has in the past insisted on the term phase down rather than phase out. Not that it's very clear what the difference is. So for India's stand, what is being articulated right now, there is no official statement, but from the statements of Prime Minister Narendra Modi, from the statements of of Foreign Secretary Vinay Kotara, you know, we've India's stand is very particular. It has got red lines. It says that we will be expanding our renewable energy capacity. but the world cannot tell us which fuels to cut and which fuels we shouldn't cut coal is necessary for india's economic growth is is necessary in in, in the near and short term and india says that it cannot be told to cut on coal simply because it is what uh, science says it is the dirtiest fuel in other in other parlances india has also pointed out for instance the united states when the united states has committed to phasing out coal it does nothing about phasing out oil and natural gas which are the fossil fuels that drive the us economy so this stand of india and of other developing countries i mean china too is uh, consonant with india on don't tell us what to do with coal okay. so india stand is still pretty, uh, pretty, pretty consistent uh, consistent on this and that is one reason why india hasn't really signed certain pledges that is a global energy efficiency pledge and the global health pledge because indirectly all of these pledges while committing to greater renewable energy somewhere below there are lines which say that the we shall completely phase ourselves away from fossil fuel or coal and that is something which india cannot accept in formal international treaties is india in that sense a little out of step with what the global south and the developing world has been asking for by not signing the green pledge or the climate health pledge well technically it looks a little bad because in the g20 new delhi leaders summit india has actually claimed credit for being able to introduce a language that the world must uh, that we all must strive to triple installed renewable energy capacity by 2030 india's national determined contribution already says that we will be putting in 500 gigawatts of non fossil fuel energy uh, electricity uh, electricity by 2050 so technically india actually has just signed on on onto the pledge but as i said you know this is some uh, it comes with a caveat of coal and india really isn't i wouldn't i mean it it india isn't seen as obstructionist yet because there is also china which has uh, a similar reliance of coal, reliance on coal there are uh, i mean there is the united states which doesn't rely much on coal it relies 20% on coal but most of it is still fossil fuels i mean in natural gas and oil there is a the eu too which of course which has while having the greatest commitments having done the most to reduce uh, emissions is also now dependent on gas post the ukraine war so india is not really seen as isolationist or you know activistic or out 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 of sync this is all part of classic negotiations that happen So let's see how this goes. I'm watching every bit of it. Of course, apart from the controversies, the COP28 really did hit the floor running uh, with an early success on agreeing on the implementation of the loss and damage fund, which uh, the developing world had put forth in Sharmal Sheikh. Uh, are there any more details, really, of who's on which side, who will be the beneficiaries, who has to contribute, and where does India stand on the loss and damage fund? So loss and damage fund historically, India has. i mean it's not official but india never really sees itself as a beneficiary of loss and damage funds because the fact is india is just too big a country and uh, it uh, and it really cannot when compared to small island developing nations or several african nations that are not as industrialized as india 
but already face significant impacts from uh, you know from climate disasters india does not really see itself as actually gaining a lot of money from the lnd fund there was even a talk that you know should india actually be a contributor to the loss and damage fund but india also doesn't see itself as a as a contributor so in a in the larger story this really isn't something that immediately will affect uh, in india but given that india is seen as a kind of leader of the global south and the global south consists of a lot of these countries which will benefit from it it is kind of seen as a victory for uh, for india too when is the final declaration expected the final declaration of cop 28 is technically expected on thursday it is it all depends on how what kind of consensus is is, is reached it could spill over into a day extra it is quite possible it is also possible that countries reach no conclusion and they just don't call it an agreement but they just end up with something called a declaration so but there's a 99% of the ch- of, of chance is that it it'll end on thursday so the hindus jacob koshi there and you can follow much more of jacob's reportage there on the hindus website www.thehindu.com so what's world views take it doesn't take 77000 delegates to fly to a conference in west asia to study whether the world is on track with the goals they established at the cop 21 in paris in 2016 it should be fairly clear that the world has failed to ensure goals on mitigation of greenhouse gases keeping global warming in check climate change adaptation and climate finance while india has done better than many especially given its large population it has failed in one respect in not broadening the scope to tackle climate change at a regional level where it can be effective across south asia which is one of wor- the world's most climate vulnerable areas let's get you some world view reading recommendations and i should say there are so many books out there so these are personal choices the first right up top three books by amitav ghosh The Great Derangement, Climate Change and the Unthinkable, Nutmeg's Curse, Parables for a Planet in Crisis, and then the latest, The Living Mountain. Uh, also, a series of books uh, by another expert, Drawdown, The Most Comprehensive Plan to Reverse Global Warming. This is a series of e- uh, essays edited by Paul Hawken, uh, who is this expert, especially on solutions. He's written the book, Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation. Uh, then another very famous name, Naomi Klein. This changes everything. Is the book Capitalism versus the Climate? That's her classic, if you like, from 2014. It's been followed up by On Fire: The Burning Case for a New Green Deal. Uh, another a book that's really been recommended: The Uninhabitable Earth: A Story of the Future by David Wallace Wells. It's acclaimed and also recommended. by jacob uh, a book for those who enjoy a little bit of history and looking at maps is called the earth transformed an untold history by peter frankopan uh, who looks at the historical evidence of climate change of course i've spoken about frankopan's books whether it was the silk roads or the new silk roads and of course as a result this book too has quite a bit about china and the history of climate change a book on india the next new navigating the fifth industrial revolution by pranjal sharma who was a fellow journalist uh, he has a chapter on green energy and green digital energy in particular uh, which is worth reading a book called the climate solution india's climate change crisis and what we can do about it very practical book by mridula ramesh environmentalism you may have already heard of this it's a global history by ramchandra guha 
This is about India's environmental traditions and what India historically has done, uh, also has profiles of great Indian environmentalists beginning with Mahatma Gandhi. And finally, India in a warming world, integrating climate change and development. This is edited by Navroz Dubash uh, and certainly is a voice. Uh, you could read his edits in the Hindu and follow him online as well. So we hope you enjoyed our selection and do join us again. Uh, please like and subscribe to The Hindu's YouTube playlist or log in to www.thehindu.com.